Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget... You can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Hope you enjoyed your holiday weekend. Happy Martin Luther King Day to everyone. And we're back here Trying to get back to our regular schedule. I'm Ryan Abraham, your host. We've got Keely Yor in studio and Dan Weber on the line. All of us part of uscfootball.com. We've got a lot to get to. Lots of newsy stuff going on this early part of 2020 for USC football. Waiting on a official announcement for defensive coordinator. Lots of other stuff to get to. So we'll, we'll touch on all those different news items around here on the Peristyle Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, Hey, man, this is a question-driven show. We love to hear from you. We want to hear what you got to say. Tell us what topics you want us to talk about. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Keep those emails coming. We get tons of them year-round, and that's how this we basically drive the show with all of your questions. You can also call or text us. We got a bunch of voicemails today. Text messages, 424-254-9141 is the number. Send the text. Leave a voicemail. We will play it or read it on the air. And do our best to answer any questions you have or discuss whatever topics are on your mind. Speaking of being on your mind, Keely, yours always on your mind. Is that a good segue? I don't <laughs> no, know. that's not. Everyone's thinking about Keely. <laughs> that's weird. Hi. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to have the next person that you're going to join on the podcast. I'm glad he's back. We sort of did a hybrid tunnel vision family feud podcast last week yes. with you, me, and shotgun. and shotgun, which was fun. We had a good time, but it's not the same. You know, no offense to shotgun. We need the, we need Dan. You can't Webb. replace the Dan Webb. <laughs> we need D Webb in there. <laughs> Dan is on the line. How are you doing? I know you had some oral surgery and stuff. I don't know if you want to talk about anything, but hello, Dan. How are you? I'm just happy I can talk. I think I tried to talk to you uh, uh, right after I'd had it, and uh, I I don't know that it was intelligible at all. Although I have talked to some people. It wasn't that long after it. They said, oh, I think you sound better, uh, you know, uh, with the uh, dental surgery. So I, I'm not sure. But uh, talking about on, on, on your mind, if you, you were exactly right. Because when I go out and about, the almost without a doubt, by the second sentence, people are asking me, how's Keely doing? You know, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> tell me about Keely. You know, I, I, you know, that Keely, I really like listening to Keely. So. Uh, Keely's on uh, everybody's mind. I think you're uh, you are correct, Ryan. She's popular. I always tease her because she's like the most popular one. So I don't false. This is making to, me so uncomfortable. I have right to now. try to try to knock her down a peg. She's, there's a lot of ego there. She does have a lot of ego. You know, she's, no one thinks <laughs> as highly goodness. of Keely than Keely herself. I'm just kidding. No, she's very humble. She's good at her job. We appreciate her being around, and it's great. She comes in the studio, so we get to uh, 
chat it up a little bit. And like I said, we had uh, shotgun in last week, but so there's some newsy items that maybe we didn't get to with Dan. So we're going to talk about some of those. We'll, I know there's a question or two having to do with athletic department shakeup. So we'll let we'll we'll talk about that stuff more with Dan uh, when those questions come up. We also had a question on the Pac-12 schedule. Uh, that's going to be rolling around. Uh, we're going to talk. There's uh, we'll, we'll get Keely to kind of give us an update on some of the personnel changes. Also, some news that we broke out there that USC is trying to get rid of. And this is something that we've all advocated for the UC Davis game for the 2021 season. So if you want to see what the new athletic department regime is doing, that's one of the things they're looking to do. Try to buy out of the UC Davis game and, and schedule something else. So we'll, we'll wait on that. That what, the, what I reported is what they were. They're really trying hard to do that, but it's no, uh, no done deal in place. So I want to get Dan's reaction to that. And then we'll uh, get Keely talking about some of the personnel changes, but I want to thank Trader Joe's first before we jump into it. They've been awesome to us the last few years. And we're back again, another season, another year with uh, Trader Joe's sponsoring the Parastyle Podcast. Dan Weber won specifically. If you go to TraderJoe's.com, usually get some really good ideas. I like the Fearless Flyer. Uh, that's always fun. You kind of see like new things, new stuff that are coming up. But Super Bowl's coming up. And I wanted, I had an idea. I like making dip, like even just really? with like onion soup and, and sour cream and then like having like wavy potato chips. Kind of one of my favorite things. Wait, my mom got that for me when I was back in Boston. But I wanted some, you know, unique dips and you can go to Trader Joe's and get stuff. So check out the Buffalo style chicken dip. I think you can put Whoa. veggies in it. Um, Sounds you know, legit. If you want to try to eat your veggies, it's good to have it with a little chicken, you know. So. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm going to run a 10K on Super Bowl morning. So I'm going to go you crazy. Are. Wow. I'm going to go crazy wow. right here in Redondo. And they have a beer garden afterwards, so you get a couple. So you run, and then you get a couple of beers. But then, if you feel like the rest of the day, I can eat as much buffalo chicken dip as I want. It's a free for all. Yeah, calories like, don't count. If you work out and it's Super Bowl, you're like, ah, you know. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to do. So try that out. Make sure. Let me know what you think about the buffalo style chicken dip. Very uh, nice. And Trader Joe's again. Thanks again for they've been awesome to us. Uh, all right, Dan. What do you think about that? The uh, I know I'm I'm sure you're a fan of uh, USC at least trying to get rid of the UC Davis game. The Athletic reported that if it was canceled before January 1st, they would have had a five hundred thousand dollar buyout. They're going to try to cancel it now, and it's a seven hundred twenty five thousand dollar buyout. So it costs wow. them a little extra money, but I think it's worth. I think I I just like the fact that USC's never played an FCF school. If you can continue that. There was no reason for them to have to schedule this. Now you got to have to scramble and pay money to get out of it. But I like the fact that this new leadership in the athletic department sees the the value in getting out of this game. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. They could have hired me for a day in December. I would have gotten out of it uh, for the 500 <laughs> instead of 725. And, uh, you know, I'll split the, uh, the 225 with them. I mean, how hard would that have been? Uh, hope maybe they didn't know about it. Uh, I don't think we ever knew, uh, that there was a, uh, a lower buyout possible by, uh, by the 1st of January. Uh, the 725 is stunningly, uh, out of touch with reality. I mean, what's Cal Davis going to, you know, how are they impacted? You know, what do they have to do? Call up the bus company and say, Hey, we won't need those four buses to come to, you know, come on. I mean, that USC you know, gave Cliff Kingsbury, what, $150,000 buyout and gave Cal Davis $725,000 buyout. That's, <laughs> in, that's astonishing. I mean, it, it's just another one of a, you know, laundry list of reasons why uh, you had to have a shakeup in the athletic department. But, um, you know, I think they need to figure out a way to do this 
And uh, that's not just grabbing a team from here or grabbing a team from there because you're basically competing with the SEC where they're, you know, getting four of those games a year. And, uh, you know, the price keeps going up and up and up. Uh, If I were USC, I'd like to see them develop a relationship with UNLV, for example, and like a regular relationship where maybe you give – you get two games in L.A. for one game in Las Vegas where you get to play in the new stadium, I think. They're, I know they're battling back and forth between UNLV and the Raiders. Gosh, that's a surprise uh, over uh, the ability to play games in that stadium or all their games in that stadium. But uh, I think USC fans you know, would appreciate uh, you know, kind of a – that would be a typical opener or whatever – where, you know, if even if it's on the road, it's kind of a home game if you're playing it in Las Vegas. Uh, for Las Ve- for UNLV, having USC coming every, let's say, third year to town is probably a pretty cool thing. You would draw the USC people and the attention. And for them, coming to L.A. is not that, you know, big a deal in terms of, of a trip. And I think you could work the money out so that it, it works for both uh, for both programs, but I think you need to do something like that. Uh, USC just to, you know, instead of just grab bagging and trying to grab this team and grab that, you know, Arkansas State and you know, uh, Western Michigan. I just I don't I don't think that works. I think you need kind of a plan. Uh, and and again, that was the the problem with USC. I think they had known since. Uh, 2015 that Tennessee was backing out of the home and home deal and here you know it took them till 2019 to come up with with a game where they overpaid obviously overpaid uh, uh, Cal Davis uh, and uh, and again we were told there were only like two programs in the country Middle Tennessee and Cal Davis that were even available that day or Middle Tennessee as a is an FBS program or you had to go to a Cal Davis, and it turns out uh, there were like eight or nine uh, uh, FBS programs with uh, with that date open in 2021. So uh, they're moving in the right direction. I just think paying 725 just seems incredibly ridiculous uh, in this in this case. But uh, I mean, that's almost what the guarantee is for an FBS team uh, to come play if they actually came and played. And so now you're going to give an, an FCS team, uh, the lower level team, almost what you'd give them in the guarantee for not coming and playing. I mean, whoever's running the uh, Cal Davis, the athletic department, ought to get a gigantic raise uh, for negotiating this deal. Uh, yeah. they, they could actually, you know, now go out and get another game. Maybe they could find another team as dumb as USC. <laughs> uh, to, to offer them uh, a guarantee for that game and, and you know, double their uh, double their windfall. Uh, so that was crazy. Uh, so good good job by, you know, even if it's a little late, by uh, A.D. Bone and uh, Brandon Sosna that, uh, that, that, that just makes no sense when you consider that would leave Notre Dame and, and UCLA as the two teams that have never uh, played below the FBS uh, uh, level. So that, that didn't make any sense at all. No. Ryan, yeah, sorry. No, I know in the last part we talked about how the baseball analogy is trying to get this off the schedule worth a single, or is it actually getting it off the s- schedule a single? No, I think this is a single for sure. I think that you, I mean, Dan talks about it wasn't, you know, this is an athletic department that inherited a whole lot of bad decisions. 
And I think you have to go about, and like Dan said, like this was one of many. And so there's only so many you could work on, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, let's say yeah. this is a team with maybe the worst Nike contract in yeah. the country. I mean, you know, we can start listing all the, are you kidding me? Uh, so this is one you could start on. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so the, I think the attempt, if you can't get out of it, but at least you recognize there's significance to not playing an FCS school, which the last administration ignored, you know, and Steve Lopes, who was, you know, we'll talk about, you know, he was one of the guys that was fired, was basically in charge of the scheduling. And he's someone that put the emphasis on seven home games. We're going to have to do it this way. And I think you just weren't prioritizing things in the right way. And this, this new department, you know, the, this new leadership comes in and says, that's dumb. We're going to continue to not play FCS schools. We don't have to. We can get out of it. So if they feel confident now, this late stage, that they can get something done, and they're they're pretty confident from what I've been told, um, you know, even though it hasn't been done yet, I think that's a positive thing. I think it's a single. Like you, you recognize a dumb decision that was made from the previous administration, yeah. and you are trying to fix it. Um, now you you hope that you know everyone that you're talking to is. Uh, genuine that they really are not just saying it like, Hey, we, we know this is stupid. We're going to try to fix it, but we're not trying. I think they're really trying. So yeah, I, I, I would give them a single on this one. The other thing I think is uh, you can't accept the reasoning that, wow, all the teams that are competing for national championships play seven home games. Therefore, if we play seven home games, we'll be competing for a national championship. Uh, not exactly. Maybe you need Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney, or Ed Orgeron to compete for a national championship first, and then you go to try to come up with seven home games. But to act like playing seven home games will get you, uh, you know, to the, uh, the college football playoffs without doing all the other things you need to do, uh, that was just that was the kind of simplistic thinking. Yeah. Oh it my just God. doesn't work. Come on. Yeah. They were like, Oh, to win a national championship, you have to have seven home games. So that's what we're going to do. And then once we do that, we'll be national champions. It's like, no, maybe like tackling, maybe like hiring good people to do their jobs. Not, you know, scheduling UC Davis is not going to be the path to the national championship. Like that's priority number 100 and all these things. So yeah, that, that just, I had to go back, you know, writing that story. I went back and read some of the stories about it and some of Steve Lopes' comments that he gave to The Athletic, and it was just like cringeworthy, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. Well, let's move on to uh, some of the personnel moves. Really, it's all official now. Only one uh, Trojan has left school early to opt out and go to the NFL draft. That's uh, left tackle Austin Jackson. There was other guys, people that stuck around. Keely broke some news this week. So maybe Keely, you want to give a, an update on everything or? Sure. Well, do you want to go with NFL choices first and then we can get into other stuff after? No. Sure. So whatever you like. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, Tyler Vons, and uh, Jay Tufele elected to stay at USC for 2020. And then, like you mentioned, Austin Jackson is leaving. I think it was big that AVT decided to return because if you're looking to replace Drew Richmond, uh, Austin Jackson and AVT, that's a lot to replace on that line that doesn't have a lot of experience depth. So that was big. Were you guys surprised at all that Tyler Vons was returning? Uh, not, no. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, I just think he's not quite there yet. Yeah. And I'm not sure physically. Uh, there are some things he, he could work on. And it, it was hard being one of the three or four uh, receivers 
to maybe you know show what you could do as much as you could you know so i i think it's a smart decision for him i think he'd have been he would have been in uh, uh you know territory where there's not a, a an absolute guarantee he gets drafted at all i mean uh you know we've seen pretty good receivers at usc not get drafted mm-hmm. and i don't know if you want to be in that spot and and they are going to be able to throw the ball uh, next year and throw it a lot and throw it at well. And I think guys like that, I think, you know, you look at USC's personnel, you look at the schedule and you think this is a team. Again, if it's coached up and that's got to always be the, you know, the caveat is, you know, are you going to coach them up to where they could be? But this is an offense that could be really, really good. And if they, you know, play well through the season, that helps guys like Tyler Vaughn. I mean, it does. There's a, you know, kind of built-in perception with the NFL people, you know, uh, personnel people, that if the team plays well, uh, you're going to get some of the credit. So, I mean, obviously they can't, you know, have a bowl game like they did, you know, against Iowa. They can't play an, uh, uh, an Oregon game. But I think there's a chance that, that most of those guys will benefit by a team if it comes back and if Clay figures out, you know, what he's got to do. I mean, and that's like the biggest if in the history of the world. But uh, but I think it's it was the right move by, by Tyler. Yeah. It kind of would have reminded me of Deontay Burnett if he had left. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, he, exactly. And Tyler isn't where Don, Deontay was. I mean, and you, you look at how he finished and – uh, and you know he's still hanging in there, obviously, and and but he's it hasn't been an easy way for him to go at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, Tyler's my guy, but I don't. Yeah, I think he's he's better off coming back, and he could be the man next year. I mean, they got some yeah some studs, but uh, I you know it's going to be an offense that they throw the ball a lot. He'll catch a lot of passes. He'll set some records. I mean, he's been you know being around the program for four years. He'll he'll get some numbers. I think that'll give him sort of a production boost if he doesn't get a big if he's not like going to be a combine warrior which i don't think he will be he might have some really good production numbers like for his career so that little little caveats where people looking at him to draft him that could be the the edge that gets him picked over somebody else mm-hmm. now in other personnel news if yes. we're moving on um i reported on sunday that Daniel Marabebe has rejoined the USC football team. I know a lot of people are like, what? Where has he been? Uh, he's rejoined the team. Um, he's going to look for a six-year of eligibility. And so as long as USC has filed uh, that waiver to to the NCAA, he's allowed to practice for 30 consecutive days. Um, so while he's expected to, to play in spring, while he's still waiting on that decision. But uh, we're still trying to get that story out. I'm hoping I can get something later on that. Um, but yeah, good to see Daniel Monterbebe back with the team. We weren't sure about that and his status, but he has returned according to sources. Very cool. Nice scoop there, Keely. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's terrific. Keely always, uh, we had the weirdest thing. at times we would be talking, getting ready to do instant analysis. And, and the last word from either Keely or me would be Daniel Monterbebe and then around the corner, going to the library or going somewhere else was Daniel Amater baby. He just seemed to always turn up, uh, you know, when, when something, you know, was mentioned, uh, you know, on a day, you know, when he hadn't been practicing or whatever, but, uh, for him to turn up now. And I think, you know, they're going to really pretty much go away from, from tight end. So he gives you, you know, a, a flex guy or an H back guy or 
a guy that you can put in motion who can get deep quickly. He replaces, you know, the one loss you would have had in the receiving core was a Michael Pittman, a big, tough veteran, kind of a leader personality. And I think this gives them one more guy uh, who, and I think not having to line up as a tight end takes more, you know, physical pressure off that hip. And so uh, I just think, he, you know, he's too big for a, uh, uh, a linebacker to, to cover. He's too, uh, too, excuse me, too big for a, a defensive back to cover. And he's just too athletic and too quick for a linebacker. And he's, he can get deep quick. Uh, and I think that's the one thing you really didn't see were the seam routes that, 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 that could be run by somebody kind of in that H-back uh, flex position or whatever. And uh, he makes USC really, uh, the USC receiving core, really tough to defend. And the fact that they're going to have two receiving coaches, so an inside receiving coach, uh, I think makes it even, you know, even better. So I think it, it was a smart decision on his part, uh, you know, if he's healthy, if he's feeling, and you know, uh, I just think there will be less wear and tear on that hip. If he's not half in the lineup in the line of scrimmage and and blocked down on a, a defensive tackle, for example, uh, I just think it works out in so many ways and uh, probably gives him a chance to you know go on to the NFL. All right, uh, that was it, right, for the personnel. Or personnel, yes. There's so much news to to talk about since we haven't talked to Dan in such a long time. And well, this is kind of breaking stuff. So there's two things on the uh, coordinator spots. Um, Graham Harrell came up uh, at another opportunity in the NFL this with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles now there was some question because Doug Peterson apparently calls plays there so would Graham want to go and call plays and I think it was it was Bruce Feldman or or someone reported recently that that's you know not happening either he turned down the job or wasn't offered or whatever I'm not you know it was Pete Thamel and Bruce both said that they both were saying that yeah so it looks like Another person came after Graham Harrell, and it looks like he's going to stick around. Of course, he signed an extension recently uh, with USC. Um, this, I mean, I did uh, Pac-12 radio this morning on Sirius and uh, talked about this. I'm like, this is a positive where hopefully this shows, you know, Clay Helton that when you hire good people that other people are going after, like that's a that's a good thing. You want people on your staff wanted. Dylan McCullough was a great running back coach. You lost him after a year, um, but. Graham Harrell's a great offensive coordinator, and he's younger, but he's going to become really popular again. So he's, he was really popular this year. So I think that's a positive. You want people like that on staff. He didn't have enough people like that that other people were after. It was all these people that were like close, but they they weren't they weren't commodities from that other programs would covet. And Graham Harrell's one of those. So the fact that uh, Clay Hilton got to keep him, I mean, it's he's had to withstand, there's been a lot of attempts uh, taking Graham Harrell away. So the fact that he's staying around, I think that's a, a big boost for for Clay Helton. What do you think, Dan? No question about it. And how cool is it that, you know, DeLand is already in the, you know, the Super Bowl, uh, you know, after leaving here. And, uh, you know, you just, there are some of these guys you can recognize and just say, this guy's special. And I think just having Graham around might have been, a, you know, an Im- impacted uh, Daniel's decision. And just, you know, I mean, he could have gotten a, you know, gotten a sixth year and gone somewhere else as a grad transfer. So I just think, uh, you know, there are ways in which this this kind of, you know, builds uh, builds a momentum. I mean, uh, you know, USC has learned 
from not getting the right guys and watching what happens when Ed Orgeron goes somewhere else, uh, uh, that that maybe uh, it really is a value to go out there and compete. I think the athletic department has to compete and Clay has to compete to keep guys like that. Uh, that's as important, uh, you know, recruiting or maybe more so than, you know, recruiting the athletes. So uh, I think there's been a, a, a missing element of willingness to compete that we haven't seen uh, nearly enough recently at USC. They've got to get in there. And with everything they've got in the athletic department uh, and, you know, even from the president on down, there has to be a commitment to compete. And uh, I think it's a good thing when you have to compete and uh, keep guys in the, you know, in the program. That's definitely a good thing. Uh, so our buddy Curtis, I don't think he's very happy that uh, Graham Harrell interviewed for another job. So I'll play. I know we're in the middle of the new stuff, but I'll play his voicemail for you, Dan, and get your thoughts. Here you go. Okay. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Graham Harrell, this message is for you. Why do you keep interviewing for jobs? For offensive coordinator, you're already an offensive coordinator surrounded with talent. You know it's going to work. Everybody wants you because you had a good year at USC. If you're successful at USC, everybody's going to want you. But don't leave unless somebody's going to give you a head coaching job. Don't leave for a parallel job. We got a chance to score a lot of points and more people will want you. And then Clay Helton is going to hire another offensive coordinator. If he picks air raid, it's a whole lot of air raid coaches out of the out of the Lynch tree uh, from Washington State. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, I think I, I may not agree on that one because I would guess that would would have been uh, Graham's first uh, NFL interview. And I think there's a real value for a young coach in learning. Uh, how to interview uh, if you're going to eventually someday maybe think about going in that direction. I think it's a whole different kind of a process than, say, interviewing uh, for college jobs. So, yeah, I wouldn't begrudge him at all. And I would think, you know, USC has to, you know, make the case. And, you know, they've already made the case once uh, uh, against the, you know, Texas and some of the other, uh, you know, job possibilities. And, and uh, if USC's challenged, uh, it's their challenge to, you know, make the job, uh, you know, as attractive as, as it can possibly be and, uh, and, and just compete, to, you know, to keep, uh, to keep Graham here. I mean, I think, you know, he looks at his potential for success, I think, at USC right now is higher than it is, you know, at a lot of places. Uh, so, I mean, he's in a pretty good situation. And I think USC kind of has to admit that. I mean, they had to do it how many years with Pete Carroll? Uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, like maybe the last seven out of nine. And, uh, you know, it, it finally happened. But uh, uh, I think it was really worthwhile to have, have, you know, it wasn't great to be having Pete talking to this person or that person. But uh, uh, I, think, I think, you know, on balance, you got to let those guys have – you know, their ability. I think we're, you know, they're trying to make it so players have more free agency possible uh, to control. I mean, look at three of the four quarterbacks in the college playoffs were transferred. I think that's a good thing uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think the coaches need need some of that kind of freedom as well. And, and we don't know how serious he was about the job. I mean, my guess is the seriousness there might have been 
what's it like to interview, you know, for an uh, NFL offensive coordinator job? And that's a that's a really good learning experience for a young coach. Yeah. And I think you look, I don't I mean, curse. I wouldn't say it's a parallel move. You're going up to the NFL to be an offensive coordinator. That's a, you know, that's a move up. He also interviewed for a couple of head coaching jobs. That's a move up. Even though they're smaller schools, you're still the potential to be a head coach is a different, you're in a different ball game than you being a young coordinator. And I think you look at the trends. Why was Cliff Kingsbury hired when he was hired? Well, he was friends with Sean McVay. McVay was the hottest thing around. And Who's the hottest thing now? Joe Brady from LSU. He gets the job. So, hey, who's another great offensive coordinator in college? We could bring him over. For, you know, that's it's kind of a copycat league. So that's why someone like Graham Harrell is going to get attention. But it was a big, it's a big recruit for Clay Helton. Um, I don't, you know, I'd have to go through and look at some of the other options if Graham Harrell was to leave. Some of the people I talked to just felt like there weren't as many, you know, proven. Mike Leach tree guys that would be able to, to follow in, in Graham Harrell's footsteps around there's some out there, but you know, from uh, some of the people I talked to, they didn't feel like it was as big of a, it it wasn't going to be as big of a pool to choose from. Like you had, you know, Cliff Kingsbury was great. Graham Harrell was a great second option, but who do you, where would you go after that? So, but you don't have to worry about that now. looks like he's sticking around until some other job, I guess comes up, but it's uh, it's, it's definitely a positive for USC. You need to keep someone like that around. Well, you know, uh, when you look at how much of a downer the Iowa game was, USC's had a really good, so far, offseason. I mean, January has been very kind uh, to USC in a lot of ways, uh, you know, now that they got past the uh, early signing day. Uh, yeah. But uh, things have kind of worked out for USC. I mean, really. Uh, so there's a lot of positives going into this. Again, everything's going to rest on uh, on Clay. Uh, and, and what Clay, you know, what he learns, what he understands, what he figures out, what he uh, is able to develop or not. Uh, and, you know, this is got a team that on paper, again, we'll say this how many times, but with the nature of the Pac-12 and what happened at Oregon and Utah and places like that or what's happening at Washington, uh, USC, you know, looks like they really ought to be the team to beat. I mean, it, you know, this is a team that ought to be able to outscore everybody in the, you know, in the Pac-12. Okay, they got to go to Oregon. Well, you know, I mean, people want to take another look at that Oregon game last year. If they don't implode toward the end of the first half on special teams and all the other ways that, you know, and God knows what happened in the locker room at halftime, because I think they knew they were probably in a lot of ways should have been able to beat an Oregon team at home. Uh, USC ought to be able to win, you know, the road games. And, uh, you know, I don't know, is Arizona State going to be the the team that challenges you? But that game's here. Uh, You look at that schedule, and USC's not in terrible, terrible shape. They don't have any, um, uh, you know, several weeks in a row on the road. Every is back and forth, back and forth. The bye comes in the middle of the season, you know, kind of – where they can use it, uh, it's not a it's not a bad way for USC to go if they get their act together, and they certainly have the personnel, you know, to get their act together. They they've got to be able to block people. They got to do the, you know, I mean, you wish you wish you could take Clay to say an Iowa practice and say watch what they do, okay? 
They make football into a five-yard game and a 10-yard game. It's not a 100-yard game. It's not a 50-yard game. It's a five- and 10-yard game. And what do you have to do to win that game? What do you have to do to be able to block um, uh, and tackle in those five or 10 yards? That's the stuff that has gotten overlooked at USC, those basic uh, building blocks uh, in college football. And, you know, I mean, we every once in a while we'll see it in spring ball where they had a pretty good spring practice last year. We'll see it in, the, you know, the two weeks of the camp. And then they start getting ready for the season, and it all goes away. And they start, you know, you know, walkthroughs, and nobody gets hurt, and let's slow things down. And, you know, they, they get to block every weekend or tackle every weekend. That's not enough. Uh, you got you got to do it in practice every day. It's got to become habit. It's just got to be muscle memory, and that is the thing that, that that we have to get. You know, USC has to get through. And but if they do that, the potential is there. I mean, it's it's scary, but but we'll see. Yeah. Um, you have anything else, Keely, or we move on to the next one? Moving on to the next one. Let's do. Uh, we haven't played the news sound. We'll do that. Breaking news! Our like our buddies at the um, Solid Verbal like to do. Uh, yeah, so there's been a bunch of news. It's not official yet. Um, it we we thought it was going to come official today. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I think Pete Thamel was the first to report this one, and it's funny. I got a text. It's about Todd Orlando, who was the uh, defensive coordinator for Texas for the last three seasons. I got a text a couple weeks ago that they were talking to USC, but then he took a job at Texas Tech as the linebacker coach and assistant head coach. So we took him off our hot board, assuming that that was over. Apparently it was not over. Uh, USC had talked to definitely some other people. You know, we put some stuff in the war room about them making a run at Dave Aranda. There was, you know, talks with Chris Richard. There was uh, talks with Joe Barry. But it looks like Todd Orlando is going to be the guy. There's Texas Tech reporters that have uh, said that he's no longer employed at Texas Tech. So to me, I think this is just USC's, you know, doing what they do, which is take a long time to announce things and make sure everything's signed and all that stuff before they say anything. It's just, you know, the internal bureaucracy that it's USC. That's one of those things that they need to get cleaned up. But it might happen while you're listening to this, you know, on Tuesday or later in the week. We expect it to be official here fairly soon that uh, USC is going to hire Todd Orlando. And I know that some people in the Peristyle weren't happy with it. I think on the surface, to me, it checks a bunch of the boxes that he was an outsider. He's not someone from Clay's circle. Uh, he's, you know, I think he's a fairly strong personality. He was a hot commodity just a year ago or 18 months ago, his last year at Texas wasn't great. He was fired with a whole bunch of coaches got fired by Tom Herman. I know they had a whole bunch of injuries last year. They also lost a lot of starters. I think eight of 11 starters from uh, the the season before. So if this was a hire like a year ago, I think people would be loving it. And it's, they could have done that. USC has been a year late on a lot of these things, but in the end it's, this was a sitting defensive coordinator, um, and at a power five program and a blue blood program in Texas, he's got 15 years of defensive coordinator experience. He focuses mostly on linebackers. So I think he can help out like a young, talented group there. So, you know, it's one of those things that you can, you know, pan, you know criticize it, whatever, all you want. 
But, you know, I, I think this is an outside-the-box kind of hire. Which it, it should be a normal hire that's not been normal for USC. So now you're getting back to hiring people that other people would probably want. And I think this is a situation like that. He was get, he got a head coaching interview, too, I think, with Temple. Uh, his first year at Texas was like gangbusters. Like, they blew it up. And then, it, you know, it kind of fell off a little bit since. But I don't know. Maybe, Keely, get your thoughts first, and we'll get Dan's thoughts on things. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it yourself. I think the the drop-off uh, from what I've heard, I was kind of talking to Texas people to try and get the scoop on him. And, and it was a la- eight out of 11 starters were lost coming into the season. And then the two deep was pretty much injured the whole season. So from their point of view, it was kind of wasn't essentially his fault for the, the mishaps on defense just because there's so many injuries. Um, but the knock on him, though, is that he's not the best recruiter, which yeah. we've known from Clancy Pendergast is also an issue. But uh, I heard that he's better if he has a coach come with him in in-home in visits. So maybe that is a, a way that they can do it. The thing I would be interested in is does he have free reign over staff choices or is he kind of set with what USC has right now? Because I think that will be influential in how this defense does going forward. Yeah. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, if I had to guess, I think he's uh, okay with uh, Chris Claiborne coming in uh, as linebacker coach. And I know Chris has kind of reached out to people uh, in terms of recruiting and things like that and, and going, you know, making the jump from high school coach to college. But I do think there's an element of that. I think there, you know, if there's an announcement today, there might be another announcement tomorrow, something like that. I think that might have been a uh, an important part of you know the ability to maybe uh, uh, you know not only be the linebackers guy but to work with a new uh, having a linebackers coach who hadn't been a college coach. So I think that's probably how it goes together. I think uh, uh, Todd is a he's, you know he's, he's he's kind of a fiery guy and a you know all out let's uh, you know pressure and 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 come after you. And I know they always, you know, talk that up when they played, uh, you know, when Texas was on the, the schedule those two years. I don't know that they were totally effective in doing that, but, you know, they like to come after you. And if that could even, that alone could change the way they practice or impact the way they practice or the speed at which they practice. And I know he's talked about, you know, as, as, as we've talked about that he's, you know, talked about how important it was to become physical in practice at Texas. Um, and so, you know, if you were at Texas last year, I think it was the choice of either Tom Herman goes or all the, all the assistants go and they, you know, they had both of the coordinators go. And, um, so, uh, it's interesting. USC's actually now, uh, they didn't lose Graham Harrell to Texas, but they did get, the uh, uh, defensive coordinator from Texas by way of Texas Tech. So they actually went after a guy who was employed somewhere else for a couple of weeks. So, you know, you can't begrudge him that. Although being the defensive coordinator of Texas Tech might be the worst job in college football. I mean, (laughs) over the years, I mean, I can't even guess how many points uh, Texas Tech has given up. Uh, They are essentially, if, if they can outscore you, good. If not, they're, you know, they're screwed. But uh, so I think he probably didn't feel like that was a, a path to success and that, you know, you like it if a guy like that feels like USC might might be. I mean, let's face it. There are a lot of athletes at USC who ought to be able to play defense that they didn't get any better last year and they didn't seem to know really what they wanted to do or how they wanted to do it or they couldn't play fast. 
all of those things. I mean, uh, you know, the the performance in the Holiday Bowl was you know beyond uh, indescribably bad. I mean, it just uh, and so uh, something obviously had to change. And uh, this is a move, and any change would have been you know a plus. But yeah. uh, you know, this isn't this isn't the worst thing they could have done. No, I agree. And it, I'll give you a few points here. And then we'll, if you guys want more thoughts or we'll move on to questions. I think the administration, I think Clay Helton are looking at this sort of like, you're getting a really good stock. You're buying Apple after a bad quarter. So they had a bad quarter. The stock dipped, but it was really hot stock before and it was, everyone wanted it. And then you're getting it, you're getting it, you know, on the cheap. So you're, this is a higher, like I said, if it was a year ago, everyone would have been jumping for joy. Now, you know, he's fired. Is, is he a terrible coach now? So I think they look at it as you're still getting this really good coach, the coach that was getting, you know, uh, looks as a head coach, and you get a, you're get you buying it on a dip. Uh, on the recruiting thing, I've heard the same thing. It, it, I, it's definitely an upgrade. Almost any coach would have been an upgrade to, from Clancy Pettergast as far as recruiting goes. But I think, um, you know, it's it, he's, not, he's, he's not like a relentless recruiter, which – I think after Clancy, that would have been that'll be the one criticism is that you probably wanted to get. I know coordinators don't have to be all the time, but yeah. just to go from a really a guy that hardly ever recruited to a guy that recruits some is nice, but you'd rather I think you'd get want to get a bigger improvement there. And then one last thing, Dan, to your point, there's a good thread on the peristyle how quickly the tides turn. Todd Orlando, and there's a link to a story about him. I think it's from a year and a half ago or so, and it talks about how he shifted uh, practice, uh, you know, for Texas and how big of a, a change that was. And he said, if you practice soft, you're going to play soft. We've changed that. So not just like what Keeley mentioned, can he bring in some staff? Because there's a bunch of guys that, that Texas got rid of that he could that he had relationships with. Yeah. He could potentially bring on board. I don't think any of those guys have got jobs yet, for, to my knowledge. But also, will he be able to practice the way he wants to practice? Because um, it sounds like that's something that he brought to the table that worked well at Texas. Hey, you got two uh, uh, Texas coach, Texas coordinators now. I mean, uh, two coordinators that are that are coming from Texas, and maybe the deal ought to be, you know, let Graham practice as fast and as hard as he wants, and let uh, uh, you know Todd coach against him as hard and as fast and you know if they want to go you know ones against ones or twos against ones or whatever they need to be able to do that and uh, hopefully that's the one area that you know if clay you know in his head says what went wrong what's been going wrong where do we go to make it right that's the one place. And I think I was really disappointed last year that we didn't see any of that where, it, you know, Graham did what he did and did it well with the quarterbacks and the receivers. There's no question about that. And it obviously you saw that improvement on offense. You can do that a little bit more than you can on defense uh, or special team. And, um, you know, USC basically is in a place now. I think the, the good thing about having, if it's Todd Orlando is, He's in the same situation where USC is, and the, especially the USC defense is, after a year you know, where things didn't go well at all, where he's on the, on the rebound and trying to say, no, I, I'm, I'm really that guy that can coach. And uh, USC's defense is kind of like, hey, we've got a lot of good players. 
we don't know exactly what went wrong, but we didn't play like we had a lot of good players. I mean, after the you know Iowa game, uh, we're talking to um, uh, some of the players, and they will tell you, we've got good players. Just look at our players, and you would ask them, well, how did what just happened happen? And they give you that look like. Oh, we, we got to, you know, do this or we got to do that. But I, I don't think the guys playing defense really understood what happened. I mean, they, it's just like we ought to be better than this. And they didn't know exactly how they weren't better than that. Well, this would be a good time to, to show that, you know, from the coaching end and the, and the playing end that, that you are better than, than what last year showed. All right. Was that all the newsy stuff you think, Keely? I think so. I think there was a lot. Uh, well, we haven't gotten to specifically the three firings, but you said you wanted to wait for that. We have a we have a um, a question. You know, maybe I'll play that one now. And we can kind of talk sure. about the athletic department staff shakeup stuff because we didn't get to, we talked about it. We did an emergency podcast last week. Uh, was it really an emergency? I don't know. Some people debate, but I like calling things emergencies <laughs> like that. We fire like mm-hmm. eighty years worth of athletic department experience. <laughs> that could be an emergency. Um, but I'll, I'll play this one for you, uh, Dan, and then get your thoughts. Hey, Ryan. Happy days. This shakeup in the athletic office brings a lot of hope. Lopes's crookedness goes back to the Carroll days and basically wanting to have control of the department. I'm sure you've heard many rumors on how Lopes was operating, and I hope this change allows you to speak a little more freely on the subject. I do commend Bone for making this move, his first positive step as the athletic director. My question to you is, was this the move that Helton was pointing to in regard to finally having the support he needed? Great day to be a Trojan. Fight on. Mike from Rancho Cucamonga. Hey. That's how you say Rancho Cucamonga. Nice. Rancho Cucamonga. We love it. What a yeah, great, that, what a great name for a town, uh, by the way. Uh, we were talking about Bob Hope. That was the Jack Benny deal where they always had that one crazy guy who was the conductor. And he he uh, he announced the stops on the way into L.A. and he was he just went nuts when he got to Rancho Cucamonga <laughs> and it became like for fifteen or twenty years it was like a running uh, gag on on television Rancho Cucamonga. So for those youngsters who who didn't ever get to see that uh, it was it was it was funny stuff. And I guess if you live in Rancho Cucamonga. Everybody in Rancho Cucamonga knows uh, how they used to make fun of it on television. But uh, nice. Uh, as far as is this the move that Clay was talking about? I don't think so. Uh, I I don't know that Clay thinks in, in those terms. Uh, you know, you wished that he could have made the case more strongly with the people that he was asking money, you know, for money from. Uh, I mean, basically everybody's gone now. I mean, you know, Pat's gone. Uh, Lynn's gone. Uh, uh, you know, Steve is gone. Uh, just uh, that whole crew. And I, I do think they got into a not a great situation when when Pat came in and uh, Pat Hayden and and basically ha- moved Steve up to a position where between Steve and uh, and J.K. McKay and Donna Heinel, you had three people put them all together, and they were doing the athletic director's job basically. And because probably $3 million a year wasn't enough to pay for like a full-time athletic director. So you had to kind of turn those duties over to other people. And I'm just not sure that worked, uh, that you had the people on that next level 
were kind of calling the shots. And I think you need a, an athletic director who's really, you know, engaged and really involved and really a competitive person who is not, you know, just doing it, you know, for the salary or the kind of, you know, the prestige or whatever. But uh, I think they got to really be, a, you know, a part of the process. So, so I think that that's probably the case now. I would say, you know, Mike Bone is engaged now. Whether he's got the freedom to do all the things he has, I think bringing Brandon you know, Sosner with him um, as, a, as his deputy and a guy that's going to be involved with everything uh, that there is to be involved with. Uh, I think what we'll find out is how competitive are they? How, how much are they able to push things? And how, how, how much can they push things with Clay? How much can they push things you know, in every area to say – you know, we really, really mean it when we say we're going to compete for national championships. This is not, you know, we always have to say it because we're USC. No. Do you really mean it? And uh, I don't think we know that yet. And I do think they're in a position where they try to do something and then they find out, oh, my, what? We, that's a, we got that deal? We got that contract? Or this other stuff is happening at USC that's going to maybe impact what we're trying to do. Ooh, who knew that? Wow. I do think that's a danger uh, where those of us – I mean, I, I do remember having this conversation with Pete Carroll once after basically he'd had the whole turnover in his coaching staff after those initial uh, champ, national championships and everybody got a chance to get a job somewhere else. And he basically was coaching with an entirely turned over coaching staff. And they were doing some of the same turnover drills and all of that kind of thing that uh, they had always done, but not doing them the same way at all. And I do remember telling him, and you know, I'm trying to be a, you know, a smart guy or whatever, but saying, Pete, I've gone to more practices than any of your assistant coaches. And I know how you're supposed to do these drills. And I think if I were you, I get the videos out of how you used to do these drills and how you're doing them now. And I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, you, you got to be able, you know, to, to look at things like that and, and, and say, we don't want to do them, uh, just because we're now in charge and we're just going to do it the way we, I, I just, if I had to say, again, I'll say it, that if there's one thing that, that stopped happening at USC, they stopped competing. They didn't compete the way you have to compete in every single thing you do, from recruiting to the graphics of the stuff you send out to, you know, adjusting to early signing day. I mean, just because you're USC, that doesn't mean you're not going to bring people in uh, to your home games during the season and, and really, really work on recruiting. I mean, I thought it was unbelievable to, to look at uh, Mario Cristobal after the Oregon game, who was doing more recruiting in the tunnel after the game on the phone than any of the all the USC coaches put together. And that's just, you can't have that happen. You can't have, like Oregon, come in here and do more recruiting at the Coliseum than USC was doing that night. It just can't, you know, you can't see that kind of competitive uh, advantages that USC used to have. And you, it, if things change, you got to change. And we weren't seeing that at all. We were seeing them give in. Uh, the UC Davis was a perfect example of USC just giving in and saying, well, we can't, we can't compete with 
what those other teams are offering or we just can't compete. No, you can't say that. And um, I think people who aren't here are people who were kind of involved in saying, you know, it's really hard to, you know, keep competing with those other teams. No, that can't be your answer. Yeah. And I, I agree with Dan. I don't think that's something Clay Helton would say as far as like, yeah, no, he's, he's more going to, be very supportive of everyone that's around him. I think guys like Steve Loves and Ron Orr, they, they would support a Clay Helton. They like someone like Clay Helton being the head coach that, um, you know, isn't trying to push the envelope. He's, so I think the, those guys had a support. I don't, you know, maybe they weren't giving him as much financial support as he wanted, but they were definitely not people that are going to be calling for him and, and talking to their bosses about getting rid of Clay. They, they like a guy like that, Clay, around. So I think he would be supportive there. And it's sort of like when you mentioned all the people that are around Clay that are no longer there from, you know, Pat Hayden to Lin Swan to Donna Heinel, Steve Lopes, Ron Orr, all these, you know, all the assistant coaches that he've, he's had to fire. It's sort of like if you ever watch one of those shows where there's a lot of cast turnover, like, so like The Walking Dead or something where there's people like dying a lot and you have that one character, not that necessarily he could be the main character that you know will survive, but there's that person that's like, they're not great, but they're just kind of there and they're, they're always surviving. Like all these great people are, are dying on the show and this one person for whatever reason is staying alive, not necessarily because they're good. They Maybe they're lucky more than anything. That's the kind of feeling I get. Is this mean? I don't know. Maybe this is a little mean. <laughs> well, but you know, do you know what or, I'm saying? Like, that's sort of like Clay surviving everything. Like, no matter what goes on, all these people around him are going down, but and he is not. In some cases, they're survived because they have no other options. Uh, you know, some of the good people come and go because they've got other options. And you end up with the guys surviving, sort of, until, you know, there's no way you can save them. Because they don't have another option, no way out, no no other place to go. Nobody's trying to, you know, trying to get them uh, to come there. But uh, but that, yeah, that that sense of Ed Orgeron made them uncomfortable. He was he wasn't even when they offered him uh, the, to be the highest paid assistant in, in college football. He wasn't going to be their guy. They couldn't buy him, uh, and that. That made them uneasy, I think, at USC. I think, you know, it's easy if, you're, uh, if you've been an administrator at USC to have people working for you that are your guy. They will do whatever you say, and they aren't going to make your life miserable. And USC, for a long while, was able to say, well, we can keep our head above water if we keep going this way. But I think there were too many people doing things that were beneficial to them but not necessarily to USC's program. You know, that wasn't the number one thing, why they did things, why they hired people. Uh, it wasn't because we're trying to make the program better. It was what's good for me in my my job, what makes my job easier. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably not. The, there have been a lot of hires that were not made for the right reasons. Right, exactly. And it, there's actually another interesting thread on the Peristyle uh, about there, there was a discussion on a national college football recruiting po or college football podcast podcast ain't play nobody. They're part of Banner Society, which I think is Sports Nation, or I, uh, I forget what mm. what it part or sport. Um, I don't know it, it's a fairly new title that was there was called something else before. But there's podcast ain't play nobody and the shutdown full cast. 
Um, they're they're kind of funny guys uh, and uh, you know interesting shows. But on the latest episode, they were all at uh, I think Stephen Godfrey's like the main host, and he lives in Nashville. They were at the American Football Conference or Coaching Association AFCA conference in Nashville. I think it was last week. So it's like 7,000 coaches. A lot of high school coaches come down there, but coaches from all over. There's a lot of people trying to, you know, show their resumes, get jobs, places. There's seminars, different things you can learn. Um, you know, it's a, it's a recruiting dead period, but a lot of the coaches are like, if you're James Franklin, you're looking for a wide receivers coach, you might be interviewing a bunch of people down there. You might be some low level coach. That's like just giving your resume to everyone, but they know a lot of the coaches and they talk and, they're like, you know, there's some general themes. And one of the themes when they were talking to all the coaches down there was Tom Herman and sort of, sort of the turmoil that Texas has. They've had all that staff turnover. But one of the other ones, and they brought this up, it was around the 20-minute mark, if you listen to it, um, is talking about Clay Helton and the state of the USC program. And he said, basically, any coach like west of Texas is very happy that Clay Helton is still the coach there. And they they all look, and he said, even the ones east, you know, on the eastern part of the country, they like it too because they know they can recruit Los Angeles more now. It was pretty matter of fact, like what they were saying, like this is what the coaches are saying. Like USC, they said USC is broke as far as like financially broke, but also broken. And, and it's, you know, it's stuff that the USC fans that listen to this podcast and read our site kind of know. But to hear those guys they didn't have some kind of agenda. Like they just talked to a bunch of people and this was what was coming up is like that USC, if they, they, and they were all afraid of USC hiring someone good, like James Franklin, like, yeah, that would be bad for us, but it's good for us now that they're keeping Clay Helton. So that's sort of, I mean, it's, it's kind of a slap in the face to USC fans because they've known that, but to hear like other coaches saying that and they know like, this is good for us. We got to ride this wave until, USC figures its stuff out. Yeah, I think there was a post on the on the P with uh, somebody who uh, had a connection, a personal connection to somebody uh, close to the Iowa staff. And I thought the insights that, that what they said that the Iowa staff had determined in watching USC on film, it was so, you know, that they're soft and they're not fundamentally sound. And, you know, that they're going to break down here and there. And, and you know, that, yes, there's talent. But, you know, they're just not well-coached at all. And I thought, you know, they were really right on, on, on you know, on every, every kind of take that they had about the USC staff. And then, you know, to make things worse, uh, you know, they don't practice enough, uh, you know, to get ready for the bowl game. And, and Iowa goes crazy. And, uh, and the... The difference in the approach to the game between Iowa and USC was so stark. And you wonder, does Clay watch that, you know, film over and over and over again and say, you know, what exactly is going on here? Um, And figure out what has to happen. Uh, You know, we'll see. But uh, last year we got almost no changes other than, you know, Graham Harrell. uh, Nothing changed. And as we saw... That didn't benefit the people, who, you know, like John Baxter and, uh, you know, Clancy Pendergast, the people who didn't change. Uh, it didn't benefit them at all. And, and now you've got the situation where does Clay say we have to change 
at all three levels. I mean, uh, you know, last year he admitted, yeah, we had to change on offense, and that mattered a lot. Uh, what if he would have said, we got to change on defense and special teams as well? Uh, didn't go there. And so now, what does that mean, you know, going forward uh, in terms of, uh, you know, where this, where this, you know, goes and plays out? And does Clay hear what coaches are saying about the program? We don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's so difficult when you talk to Clay after practice or after games. You really don't know. Does he believe what he's telling us or is that just what he feels like he has to say because that's how he, he looks at things? It, it's, it's really hard to know. I mean, I, I would say uh, you're there, Keely. What do you think when Clay tells us all the things he tells us? I mean, it, it, it's hard. I, I've talked about it on this podcast before where I don't put much stock into it, but the last couple of pressers that he's had, it just seemed embarrassing. You know, the early signing period presser, I know he can't, trash kids that are signing at the school but there was just a lack of reality in what he was saying and it was almost to the point where you kind of have to fib a little bit to believe what he's saying so i don't know i don't know what you take away from what he says at this point yeah it's tough there's is, exactly. is, is that too harsh i just no no there's yeah, some cringe worthy exactly right. yeah it's just some of the stuff is like you, you can't be optimistic for the sake of being optimistic like at some point show a little bit of emotion like this class wasn't good enough you know not Oh, these, you know, don't turn everything into it's awesome. Like, stop. Like, people know that's not true. And we don't know exactly what he's saying behind closed doors in the locker room, but you have to think that there is this sense where that trickle, trickle down is happening to the players and what the positivity that Clay's saying is kind of what they believe. And what Dan talked about how after the, the Iowa loss, it was kind of like, yeah, but we'll figure this out. And it's like, are you even saying this for a while? You know, so I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we should probably jump in. We got a lot of questions, right? Since we're on the topic of athletic department shakeups and Clay Helton, we got multiple questions involving the two. First, Steve in Carmel Valley says, I was very excited and hopeful when I saw USC athletic department shakeup in my podcast feed. A few minutes in, I became very disappointed as I discovered that the news did not involve the firing of Mike Bone and Clay Helton. Sigh, dot, dot, dot. Anything else is just noise at this point. Um, sorry to say that I stopped listening. Love what you guys do, keeping us informed of the good, very little, the bad, a lot, and the ugly, a ton. Thank you, Steve in Carmel Valley. And then Alex sent us an email saying, hey, guys, bone cleaning our athletic department is a move in the right direction. But how much of a difference do you think that will make uh, in eventually replacing Helton with a big name coach? Isn't the BOT the one standing in the way of that happening? Thanks and fight on Alex. And then we got a text from someone who didn't put their name, but they said, listening to your emergency podcast now, do you expect a cleaning of house of the athletic department? Are you surprised at all by the three who were terminated? No, I don't think anybody was surprised uh, by that uh, at all. I don't think we know the uh, decision-making process at USC. I mean, we don't – no one has a clue as to what really happened uh, in the 11 days after the season between the time, you know, that Mike Bone was considering what to do about Clay Helton and deciding to keep Clay Helton. I mean, that seemed – like it was a very rushed uh, decision that day and, you know, getting it out, you know, tweeting it out before the uh, team meeting. Uh, I don't I don't think we have a clue as to how that went down. Uh, what did Mike Bone really want to do? Uh, what did, what happened with that in terms of 
you know, the whole decision making process at USC in terms of how the scandals are going and, you know, with USC as the, you know, the most scandal, you know, prone uh, athletic department in the country with the FBI investigation in basketball and the Varsity Blues investigation. And, um, you know, just one thing after another, um, how did that decision get made? I don't think we're, and we may never know, uh, you know, for sure. But, I mean, you know, poor Mike Bone, he's got a, he's in a difficult place because either he really believes Clay Helton is the guy to lead USC uh, back to, you know, competing for national championships or, which would be a really negative mark on Mike Bone's judgment, or is he powerless because of other things that are going on at USC or involving other things uh, financially and, uh, you know, scandal-wise and all of that, that he can't do anything about it, and he was overruled. Either way, he's got a big hurdle to overcome right now, if you're Mike Bone. Uh, and, and we keep hearing that they're involved in, you know, Mike is involved in the hiring process and, and all of that that's going on. And he better be, because I think he needs to really demonstrate that he's got a handle for what has to happen at USC and that he can be trusted to make the call and be allowed to make the call. He's in a really difficult spot. I mean, they did him no favors by putting him in the place where he, you know, where he found himself. I mean, you know, he was trying to, you know, be positive and he comes out and says, oh, you got these four you know, recruiting's not going nearly as bad as everybody says it is. We got these four silent commits and all that. And then, you know, he, he walks out on the plank and they saw it off behind him because obviously they didn't have those, uh, you know, silent commits. And uh, I think he's finding out firsthand what it's like to work at USC with either, you know, the football coach below you and the football operation or the president above you. You're in you're in kind of a precarious place. And uh, so far, uh, that's proven to be true uh, for Mike Bone. So I don't think we know where this is going. But he's he's going to have to do some work to get himself out of where he is right now. And Steve, you can't stop listening in the middle of the show just because you don't <laughs> like the way it's going. You know, come on. Uh, if you stop listening, I think, where, where are we now in the show? We're like over an hour in and we're we've been listening to your, your, you only hear your own question if you stop listening because you don't <laughs> like what's going on. So Steve, we don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the board of trustees has been a problem, like Alex said, but it, it, it's all been a problem. I mean, the board of trustees is too big. There's just been so many issues. That's why, like what Steve said, you're not going to fire a guy like Mike Bone, who you know is coming in to a, a crap show. I mean, you just know that the athletic department is a mess. This is a guy you hired to try to clean it up. Uh, you know, you're, I think the people, the powers that be were behind, you know, helping, you know, not wanting Clay Helton to be gone. So you're not going to fire him for that. That was a very unpopular decision, but there's no reason to fire Mike Boat at this point. You have to give him a chance to try to clean things up. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but that's, I mean, it is a huge mess. There are so many bad decisions that were made there and he's already made some bad decisions going forward, but there, you know, you got to try to fix some of those bad decisions from before. But good, you know, a lot of good questions there from the from the fans. 
Mm-hmm. We have two defensive coordinator questions. First up is from Lloyd. He says, is Helton having trouble finding a new DC because top DC prospects don't want to work under Helton or because Helton seems to be on a permanent hot seat or they want more control of the defense? Or is it because USC isn't willing to pay the money that is needed? And then we had a question from Mike in Santa Barbara who said, uh, hey guys and Keely, very quick question. Do we know why Todd Orlando was let go from Texas and why would he be the right choice for USC? Or is it a situation where no one else wants the job? Thanks for all you do for the exhausted and ever-suffering Trojan faithful Mike in Santa Barbara. Um, hey, real quick, I'm going to jump in. I, From what I've been told, it seems like I know Clay Elton's a hot seat guy, but there seemed to be a bunch of people that were interested in this job for whatever reason. And it seemed like USC was willing to pay and they've historically been willing to pay for coordinators. I mean, they were, I think one of the first schools to pay million dollar coordinators and stuff before. So I don't think that's what it was. Now this took a long time, probably way longer than it, it needed to take, but I wasn't hearing that nobody wanted the job. I, I, I mean, I think sometimes if you're a good coach, you'd feel like there's a chance that Clay Helton's fired and you could be the interim coach. And who knows, you're the head coach at USC next year. So that's the kind of stuff I was hearing. I don't know what you were, Dan. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Look at what Graham Harrell did for himself uh, one year at USC. He, he was at North North uh, Texas and everybody went, oh, yeah, I think he might be a pretty interesting prospect. He came to USC and, and elevated you know them across the board offensively. And now he's really a hot commodity. So I don't think that that's not possible uh, for the defensive coordinator, especially when you had a team that underperformed as badly as USC did last year. You're going I mean, any one of the three of us might uh, get this team, you know, uh, statistically to perform better next year. I mean, they're gonna be better. Uh, you know, they couldn't be worse with the talent they had. But uh, if you do something well at USC, you will get noticed. So uh, now, uh, I think Mike from Santa Barbara had, is it this, 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 and this? I think, Mike, all of the above uh, were the, would be the correct answer. You know, is USC willing to give the defensive coordinator a three-year deal like they gave Graham Harold? Probably not. Is that a factor? Probably. Uh, are, are they, you know, obviously USC, as, as Ryan said, uh, Monty uh, Kiffin, uh, defensive coordinator, who came in with, with Lane, uh, was the first, I think, million-and-a-half-dollar assistant uh, in, in college football. So he was the highest-paid uh, you know, assistant coach in college football. So USC certainly has had a track record of being able to do that. I don't know that, you know, I find it hard to believe that the Dave Aranda situation was as serious as some at USC have portrayed it. I, I I find that, you know, he was making two and a half million. Just the thought that USC would, would pay that uh, for a guy, a guy who could earn that kind of money, win national championships, would be willing to come and, and, and be uh, and work for Clay, uh, knowing how things have gone. I mean, Dave Aranda was, you know, coached against USC in the uh, Holiday Bowl. Uh, I don't know, what was that, four years ago? And uh, I think they saw firsthand, uh, or was it three years ago anyway, they saw firsthand how USC was as soft as its reputation and wasn't as prepared. And, you know, do you, do you look at that as a challenge or do you look at that and say, uh-oh, am I going to have enough clout to be able to coach this, you know, these guys up the way I, you know, if we're not allowed to tackle except in games, 
I don't know how you coach defense. I really, I really don't. I mean, I don't know that there's a good answer to that. So when people say, you know, the guy that's considered the number one defense coordinator in the country uh, was considering the job at USC, I, my skepticism is is heightened a, a little bit uh, there. But uh, but I think you know, I would, I think it's worth taking a shot if you're a guy that wants to either have to prove yourself after what happened at Texas or, um, you know, you're a guy that you're not a coordinator in the NFL, uh, but you want to come to USC in terms of that, then is USC offering you enough money to make the chain and offering you contract? You know, are you, are you going to have the ability to hire uh, your own assistants? Uh, That kind of thing. Um, I think there are a lot of other factors that we're probably not going to know all the answers to, but, uh, but I think you can, you know, you can, Use USC as a way to move up in the college football world. You will get noticed. Now, I want to jump in because we actually had a question about Dave Aranda and it kind of copied uh, Dan's skepticism, which if you're confused about Dave Aranda, read the war room. We put it in the war room. Yes. Um, Frank in Irvine, class of 2004, says, do you really believe that we had a shot at Dave Aranda or that our dysfunctional athletic department was going after him? And that we were going to match his salary? If you do, forget Arizona. I've got a beachfront property for you in Montana. So we wouldn't hire Bob Stoops and company but he, because he wanted too much money for his assistance. But Dave Aranda, no problem. We wouldn't fire Clay Helton and company due to the buyouts of the con man himself and his staff. Dave Aranda, no problem. Blank check for this guy, but not two national championship coaches. Don't believe this crap your source is feeding you. How do you expect us to even consider this pile of dog crap? Regards, Frank and Irvine. Class of 2000. Hey, Frank. Uh, I'll, I'll respond first and get Dad's thing. All I can tell you... People I talked to were really optimistic on this. The bit that I think the general takeaway, and I was shocked to hear that. I'm like, wait, really? Like, it made no sense to me. But they were pretty adamant that this was something that they were trying to make happen for real. The 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 takeaway I would from this is the fact that USC would even reach out uh, is different than what we've seen in the past. And all we've asked, and I think Shotgun talked about this on the emergency podcast. USC needs to act like a blue blood program. And they haven't done that. Some of the moves you're seeing at least attempted. Hey, let's get out of this FCS game. That's stupid. Hey, let's go after one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Some of the things like that is more acting like a blue blood program, which I think is a step in the right direction. So believe whatever you want to believe, Frank, but uh, you know, from the people I talked to, I believe they really went after him, which like I said, I was shocked that they would even do that. But just the actions I'm seeing is they want to act more like what USC fans think USC should be, which I think, as Dan mentioned, some of the people in the athletic department that were around before just weren't acting like that. It was more of a defeatist attitude, like, oh, we'll never be able to do that or blah, blah, blah. Like Now it seems like they're bringing it a little bit more. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I would just hope that you were doing that with your eyes wide open. And, and maybe you, you, do you play the angle, hey, Dave, you're an Inland Empire guy. You know, this would be, you know, uh, you've been in. I mean, there are people who, who are, I've known personally uh, who say a few years in Baton Rouge is enough. That, that then maybe there's a, it's a time to move on. It's a different place. It's a different world. And you could understand how that, that might uh, you know, catch up with you a little bit. 
So if you happen to just hit it right, I mean, I'd still be a little nervous if you're paying the defensive coordinator more than twice as much as you are the offensive coordinator who just got a big big raise and everybody was excited about it. So that would be interesting. Uh, it would also be interesting is how do you change, uh, if you feel the need to change a head coach and you've got two uh, coordinators making $3.7 million a year who are locked into three years, three-year contracts, how in the world do you, do you just say, you know what, we might go without a head coach. We'll just let you know you two guys coach the coach the team. I, I it just the the economics of that don't exactly work for me. And just the idea that you would have two coordinators locked in, you know, for three years each at multi million dollar deals, um, that would be so different from anything we've ever experienced at USC. It almost seems like there's an unreality to that but uh you know if they want to act like i absolutely think they should act like big boys so you know hey we're we're gonna act like usc uh that's wonderful Mm -hmm. yep we have an email from steve in poway who says what do you think the return of daniel umada bebe does to the morale of the 2020 usc football team thanks steve in poway and he says fight on like daniel umada bebe i think it always helps he's a guy who is a vet at this point and has been respected um from day one just because he takes his business seriously um the interesting thing is recruiting wise i don't know if this affects jack yeri at all but uh i think adding a guy like daniel umada bebe always is a good thing yeah i mean he's a smart you know, really smart guy. He's a, you know, a good guy that, that, uh, I think the, the fact that he could have gone somewhere else and didn't, and then he's going to be here. That has to be a positive. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. That's a positive. He's got a wonderful skill set. I mean, he's, uh, in some ways, I don't know if there, I don't know if there's a, a better, you know, tight end type player who could get deep, uh, deeper, quicker, uh, and really, you know, cause you problems to match up defensively. I mean, he's a he's a nightmare, I think. And in this offense, he he could be, you know, a real a real nightmare. And you know, they're gonna have to do, they're not they're you know they're gonna have to do a better job with their interior five guys on the offensive line and, and pass protection because you you want to be able you know to send him out as well. And, and create that you know mismatch wherever he is, uh, but you got to really get the job done uh, on the five-man uh, offensive protection, and you know uh, the the running back whoever is in there probably got to really really do a good job, and that's where practicing full speed and handling the kinds of uh, uh, challenges that you get if you're going. I mean, we hear Clay say goods goods on goods where iron sharpens iron and all that, we need to see that. You need to see that every day so that uh, you can take advantage of somebody like that. But, uh, but I think it's a, it's a real plus uh, for USC. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back. we still got some more questions to get to. Back in a minute. Mm-hmm. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. We had a voicemail question about the 2020 schedule that did come out. Uh, we knew you know, it took the Pac-12 a little while. I think it was the last conference to come out with their schedule, but we know the schedule now. Um, Keely, maybe if you want to pull it up, we can you can go through it. Or sure. You want to do it now? Or? I have it pulled up. Ready to go if you Should, want me to. Okay, I'll do the question first, and then maybe we can talk about that, and then we'll get Dan's reaction. So okay. here's the question first. Hey, guys. This is uh, Frank Miranda out of Irvine. Hey, I was looking at the schedule for 2020. Bama, New Mexico, Stanford, Arizona State. And then we got Utah on a Friday night at Utah. Conceivably, there's, a, I would say, a better than 50, 50% chance that we could start one in four. If that were to happen, or even a two and three start, are we talking tarmac for softest Clay Houghton? Because I'm not being extremely negative. When you look at those two, if you look at those first five games, conceivably we could either be one and four or four and one, or a mixture of there in between. Um, Again, the win being New Mexico. I just want to see your thoughts and see how you guys feel about the first fight games of 2020. Take care, guys. I like the one and four or four and one or anywhere in between. Like, <laughs> that's why I laughed. I was like, well, that's pretty much, yeah. That's why you play the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, like the New York Times the other day uh, endorsing two candidates for president. It's like, hey, you know, uh, this one or that one or, yeah, four and one or one and four. We need to probably need to be a little more uh, uh, clear on, on, on. I mean, you know, you can say they could go four, one and four. It's almost impossible to imagine how that how that could happen when you look at, you know, the direction of some of those programs are going to be playing. I mean, they're just, you know, you can't screw up USC badly enough. Uh, I don't think to go one and four. I just, I can't even imagine they were coaching themselves. Uh, I mean, I think they got a heck of a lot better shot at going four and one. And I think, you know, as crazy as it is and as stupid as it is to even say this, uh, for example, let's say if Urban Meyer had taken the head coaching job, what do you think 
uh, people would be saying about USC Alabama. They'd be saying, you know, I think they throw the ball really well, and Alabama doesn't defend the pass all that well. And Alabama's going to have a new, you know, uh, quarterback. And uh, so, I mean, I, I just think, you know, you got to think, what are the possibilities? I mean, you, then you look and say, well, yeah, but what do they do every year when they get themselves in this situation? So, but I think one and four is is probably not the direction that anybody ought to ought to go when you look at that schedule, which I think Keeley has for us, right, Keeley? I do. So he kind of already addressed the first half, uh, September 5th versus Alabama, September 12th versus New Mexico, September 19th at Stanford, September 26th versus Arizona State, uh, October 2nd at Utah on a Friday night. Shouts to the Pac-12 for that one. October 10th uh, versus Cal, October 17th at Arizona. Then USC gets a bye. October 31st versus Colorado, November 7th at Oregon, uh, UW at, on November 14th, UCLA at UCLA, November 21st, and then November 28th is at uh, versus Notre Dame at home. Yeah, I think Arizona State's like the hot other choice for, you know, because of uh, a young quarterback coming back, but, uh, but USC gets them at home. Okay, so now you say, well, but then they got to go Friday night to Utah, and I'm sure they're saying, well, you know, we screwed Utah last year by making them come to the uh, Coliseum, although it didn't hurt them as it turned out, even though they lost the game. Um, they still won the Pac-12. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that that schedule is impossible in any way. I mean, Stanford is still Stanford. That's the name on their where jerseys or helmets or whatever. <clears throat> That's not Stanford anymore. And half the team, I think uh, – went into the transfer portal. I think like every senior practically, uh, Stanford got problems. Uh, Stanford is, is not Stanford. Um, and so now you end up with, uh, uh, you know, USC can compete with, with everybody they're, they're playing in the Pac-12. They really can. They get Notre Dame at home. Uh, yeah. They, do they have to have a toughness that they haven't, we haven't seen when they go to, when they go to uh, Oregon, yeah, they gotta they gotta show some toughness. Same thing for Utah. Who knows? Will the changes in coordinators bring enough toughness with them? Will Clay have you know some sort of you know uh, epiphany where he just all, you know the lightning strikes and you know he he says, oh my gosh, what if we were tough? What if we played in practice like we are supposed to play in games? Oh my gosh, what would who knows? Will that happen? Uh, you know, but they're not going one and four. Yeah, I don't think they're going one and four either. But that's uh, and that, that seems like to me, you know, this year was a very front loaded schedule. But then they finished strong. I think next I mean, the 2020 season, a little more backloaded. I mean, there's I think it's sprinkled around. But like the you know, the final games are going to be, you know, tougher when you got Notre Dame in there and stuff. So and at Oregon as well. Yeah. So I don't think. You're going to be able to say, well, this team finished strong, you know, where the three and three start was pretty terrible, you know, like losing yeah. to BYU and stuff, but and winning five of the last six, which there were some pretty weak teams in there and some teams that didn't have their quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. I don't think you're going to have that same kind of thing. Watch out for Cal, too. Uh, is, which, uh, is that, which week is that? Uh, Cal is the 10th. And it's at Cal this year? October, sorry. Uh, no, it's at home because oh, yeah, Cal was away this year. Right. Um, when they when Chase Garbers played this year, when he like was healthy, they were undefeated. I think they were there seven to one when he played more of the time. But when he started and finished more, more than half the game, they didn't lose. They uh, you know they bring in 
um, Musgrave as the offensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter sticking around as defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, they lose some guys off that that defensive. Uh, I think the back end, but I think Cal's going to be a, a legit team next year. So they could be like a dark horse for the Pac-12 North. I think Oregon's still going to be the favorite, but watch out for for my Bears if. Not my bears. Your bears. I was like, Wait I, well, a minute. On the Pac-12 podcast, I talk about them. Like I like Cal. Like they're, um, but I think with Garbers, to me, I said he was the MVP of yeah, the league he did. because he did. he's like when he play when he plays, they freaking win. So that's a team you got to watch out for too. Yeah, I like him a lot. I do think getting and and this is you're going to have to think things differently. Getting Cal and getting Arizona State at home, I think that's a big deal. True. In years yeah. past, that hasn't mattered. You know, who cares? Which I think it matters this year. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's a it's a different world in you know in the Pac twelve. I think they gotta you know, get ready for the uh Utah on Friday night. They, they absolutely gotta be ready uh to go up there. I you know, they've they've lost a lot and I don't know how Utah scores enough points necessarily, but uh and then they gotta be ready for Oregon. Gosh knows if that game last year doesn't get them ready uh, to play you know, Oregon this year, uh, but uh, but that's the you know I think they've got a chance uh, with this schedule. Uh, it's it's they can be very competitive. I think with this schedule, I think playing Alabama in the beginning, if if USC just I mean the last time they they did it, USC had two really good weeks of fall camp, and then they decided they were going to do stuff that would confuse Alabama and give them a different look. And they did, oh, my goodness, 47 walkthroughs in the last two weeks before the Alabama game. And the team that looked so good and physical and athletic in fall camp, you know, couldn't block anybody in that Alabama game and couldn't hit anybody, couldn't tackle anybody. Will there be a lesson learned? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You, you know how you've got to be – what you've got to do to be ready to play in Alabama or in Ohio state. And those lessons never seem to have been learned. Will they be learned this year? I don't know. Maybe that's something that Mike Bone and Brandon, Brandon Sosa have to do is, uh, uh, is basically, you know, sit the coach down and say, this is what we expect. We want a team that practices the way they hope to play. I don't know. Something's got to happen. Yeah. The other thing, watch out. You know, Oregon, you said late in the season. Um, they pick up Joe Moorhead, who, you know, former head coach. Like, if you want to talk about getting a good off, he was, I think, twice offensive coordinator of the year. Uh, that's a that's a that's a big. I think Oregon's acting like a power, like they should, and uh, the way they've recruited. Uh, you know, getting the top players in California the last couple of years. I know you lose Herbert and you lose some some more guys, but. I think they're going to be legit. So that's another one you got to watch out for. And you, yeah, yeah, I really like Moorhead. Uh, got to spend a lot of time with him. He was the offensive coordinator with Penn State uh, when for the Rose Bowl, and he was he had recruited a kid from my high school in Cincinnati. Oh, okay. The quarterback at Penn State. So just got to spend a lot of time with him. I really like him. I just think he's a, a terrific pickup. By them, I, I just think he's really, really good. So yeah, that's you're right a big about time. that. That's that, a big that time changes. higher. Yeah, that was a good one. They scored seven straight touchdowns against USC in that Rose Bowl. <laughs> so wow. I think four consecutive plays they scored a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's. Uh, uh, but that was against Clancy Pendergast defense. He's now he's going to face 
looked like Todd Orlando's defense. We'll see. What other questions we got over there? We I have, got one more voicemail. You got do we some have more. Two more. Okay. Two more questions. First off is from Dan, class of 1962. He says, "Hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keely. I hope that you enjoyed your postseason break from the podcast. You were missed. I'm one alum who is tired of hearing Bone, Fult, and Helton talk about the Trojan family. Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan were two former stars with big egos who wanted the spotlight for themselves. The way Hayden treated Kojo and Brian Kennedy was deplorable. The way that Swan treated Kennedy and John Robinson is equally deplorable. Helton using Kenichi Udezi as a scapegoat while keeping Baxter and Pendergast was also deplorable. USC used to be about people, not just fundraising. Why is Helton so afraid to open practices to journalists, alumni, and friends of USC like Pete Carroll did? As I mentioned in a former comment, the ability to take criticism is a true sign of integrity, not giving game balls to your supervisors. By the way, Hayden taking a position off the playoff committee was a way to keep USC in line because the NCAA knew that USC had a lawsuit case against them. Was selling out USC for personal recognition really family or integrity? Sorry for the rant, but integrity and family are just words with no real meaning for Fult, Bone, and Helton. Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Dan, you make an interesting point because I've heard from some people who really, really are part of the Trojan family that they were getting nervous and, and maybe a little concerned about the number of people throwing around the fight on sign who hadn't earned the right to do that. And they were, you know, watching the end of the season with uh, newcomers to USC throwing up that fight on song uh, sign and were wondering if those people could please do something to earn the right to be a part of the Trojan family and to be throwing up that fight on sign. And I tend to agree uh, that it's just not something you can just, I'm here now, here I'm throwing it up. No, probably ought to do something to earn that right. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Stanford real quick, uh, Brett McMurphy reporting their line, uh, Stanford linebacker coach, Peter Hansen was going to UNLV to be defensive coordinator. So more de- more defections from Stanford. I just Whoa. saw that on my timeline right now. Interesting. But, I mean, it's a wow. linebacker coach. It's not like, you know, but there's been, Shocking. but really good recruiting class for Stanford. But a lot of dudes leaving Stanford, like, including KJ Costello. But a lot of people like Davis Mills better. But I don't know. I like KJ, but it's just whatever. That didn't seem to work out. But but with the offensive linemen all leaving, uh, not that they were all that great this year, but uh, good luck to him as he's been, he's been, you know, he's the 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 life uh, life cycle of a quarterback at Stanford is about what it is at USC yeah. right now, uh, and good luck. A big one, Colby Parkinson too, uh, declaring early for the NFL. But I think that I think there was a backup tight end that was in the transfer portal. I think he's going to come out if he hasn't already because Parkinson. I don't know, but yeah, there's there's been a lot of dudes. Uh, leaving that program, so we'll we'll see what kind. Of, and they they took a big step back this season, so um, yeah, we'll see. We got one. Is that we got one left, or was it voicemail, right? Yeah, no. But did you have any more? Or yes, we... but it's a basketball question, so oh. I'm saving it for last. Yeah, we can just cut that one out. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so here's uh, last voicemail. Um, here you go. Hi, um, this is Rick from North San Diego County. I'm calling. Um, very upset with the USC program. They need to let Helton go. They should have done it. They would have done it if not Sam Darnold saved his tail by uh, saving his butt with some miraculous wins. And lo and behold, here comes the second savior to save him as well. So these two quarterbacks have come in and basically saved Helton's job. And now we're going to have to endure 
another couple of years for this great young quarterback we have to um, to have some quality wins in spite of Coach Helton. So, I mean, you know, they're doing some cleaning house at USC, and I was on the Board of Counselors that is now defunct, and Ron Orr was not my favorite person. So it doesn't surprise me that he's being let go. Anyways, um, we got to get, get with it, and we got to get rid of the coach. I mean, we can try to do everything we can beneath him, but we still got the issue with the coach. So I think that we need to bring in a def- defensive coordinator that can step in and take the job once the coach is gone. But the problem is if we bring in a good defensive coordinator and they do a fantastic job, it's just going to prolong Coach Helton's career at USC. Something's got to be done. they got to get rid of him. You've got to chop off the snake at the top of the head. Anyways, fight on. Um. Yeah, I mean, the point is that if you had to bring in a, a new defense or offensive coordinator last year to just survive uh, after the people that you had been naming as offensive coordinator didn't work out, and then the two people that you'd hung on for for years as uh, defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator also had to be let go because they just weren't up, up to the job and weren't being held to the kind of standards uh, in terms of recruiting and, and practicing and, and personnel decisions and all of that. Uh, how is the person who made all those decisions about coordinators, how does he survive? You know, is this rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic? If you don't, you know, that's the hardest. I mean, that's the thing I think Clay's got to figure out. Now you got to give Clay credit though. Uh, Sam Darnold, I think Clay did, particularly like Sam coming out of um, uh, San Clemente. And I think uh, he certainly didn't object uh, to a, um, a Keaton Slovis last year. And they both got their chances to, to star uh, under Clay. So you can't probably completely uh, be negative about and, and not give him some credit for some of the things that have happened. Uh, especially with the two quarterbacks. You can say, well, they saved his butt, but, you know, Clay ought to get some credit for those guys. But uh, but the way the coordinators have uh, have not done well under Clay would seem to not be a good sign for his ability to be a head coach. I mean, they, you know, they just, they haven't gotten any better. Team hasn't gotten any better. And, you know, you've had to kind of go outside your uh, – your, you know, your comfort zone uh, to get the one guy that, that really did well and, and Graham. So, so that's an issue for Clay that is not going away. Like I teased, our, we're ending the podcast on a basketball question. So, Ryan. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be back. Yeah, cover no, your kidding. ears. <laughs> it's from Nick from Cypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. He says, hello, Trojan fans. Can you guys give us a basketball minute for how this team is playing halfway through the season? Fight on. I believe after that win uh, over Stanford, they're first in the Pac-12. First place in the Pac-12. Fun big, fact. Big comeback. Uh over the Cardinal, uh, Oregon had a big comeback over Washington too. So it was some. It was so a crazy you do day. pay attention, right? I watched. A little, I was home in Boston. I watched a little bit of that. Mm, okay. But yeah, I mean they're coming off of a you know the perfect example of USC basketball. They got beat what seventy two to forty by Washington, and then they come back and have this unbelievable comeback against Stanford. And Stanford is is, is much improved and, and good 
young talent. Uh, no way they should have been up 20 points at halftime. I mean, USC sleepwalked through the first half. Uh, they've got a lot of talent, uh, and they compete uh, in some ways. I just don't think they always, for example, I wouldn't want to play Stanford half court. I mean, they got back in the game by, you know, overplaying and, and, and you know, running the floor and using their depth and using their athletic ability, their size, their, you know, they've got a lot of that. Uh, why they would ever come out and just stand around, especially if you're playing at home against, against Stanford, I, would, I have no idea. But, uh, you know, there is some potential there, but not if they, you know, come out and stand around and play half-court basketball. Their half-court offense, they don't make good decisions. They don't get good shots. Uh, they turn the ball over too much um, uh, defensively. Uh, they're just not, they're not as smart as they ought to be, but they got talent. There's, there's talent everywhere. And they certainly competed, you know, the whole full 40 minutes, uh, uh, to get into overtime against Stanford. And, uh, um, you gotta like that about them. I mean, you gotta like their talent, but, uh, you'd like them to be a little more, uh, organized and a little more able to understand how do we win basketball games? What do we have to do? Because there are a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that got, have a lot of young, uh, good young talent. And I, I think coaching is going to make the difference. And uh, I don't know that we've seen that yet, but uh, um, but they can be fun to watch. I mean, they're like the Sanford game, the first half was excruciating. It was so bad. I mean, you just feel so sorry for players with that talent that are 20 points behind. But then the second half, you think, well, that's fun to watch them compete like that when they're you know, going all out and they've got no other way to go. But then you think, but what will happen the next game? You know, how are they going to – are they going to take what they, what, what they showed that they could do in the second half against Stanford? Are they going to keep doing that? Or are they going to start out again every game the way they, uh, the way they did, you know, against Stanford? I don't know, but uh, I know they can be fun to watch and they can be awful to watch. And I don't know right now. They're not even picked to, to get into the NCAA tournament, or at least going into the Stanford game. USC was not picked. They were picked uh, sixth or seventh in the Pac-12, and just missing the NCAA tournament. Stanford game has to help them. But still, they've got to convince people that they're really a solid program and not just a bunch of young talent. Sure. That's a lot more than I saw from the game. That I don't know. <laughs> no, it just, yeah, it seems like it, it just always seems like USC's got the talent there, but they don't necessarily put it together. Sorry, but, which, what are we talking about? We're talking about hoops. But <laughs> oh, yeah, there but you go. Uh, just kidding. But yeah, uh, but uh, shotgun's always stuff, like, huh? yeah, shotgun's yeah. always saying, like, well, they're, you know, Watch this guy. Watch this guy. And I'm like, well, then why are they not even a favorite to win to make the tournament now? But they are. I think you're right. I mean, they're they are now. They're probably cusp of being ranked at some point. You know, the win over Stanford's a good one. Um, I mean, when you look the at Oregon their record this weekend, right? When you so. look at their record and they're not ranked, that really tells you something. People don't trust the program. I mean, you know, when you're not ranked, you're leading the Pac-12. What are they? Fifteen and three. I mean. Uh, how's that possible? Yeah. And then, they've got to create a, a, a sense that, Hey, we really are getting better. I mean, we are somebody you can trust. I mean, the, the Washington game, I mean, if you can play worse than getting beat 72 to 40, I mean, with that talent, 
how's that? That's not even remotely possible. And yet they did it. Uh, so Oregon Thursday night, right? So you could get a win on the road at Oregon. That's a big one. Yep. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could easily, you know, lose both of these games. I mean, we'll see. They're both of them are winnable, but, uh, both of them are losable too. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, that's your basketball minute here on the Peristyle podcast. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, woo. <laughs> All right. Well, is that it? That wraps it up. How do we go an hour and 40 minutes? I guess because we haven't talked to Dan for a while. We had so much to talk about with Dan. I'm not surprised, actually. Yeah, there was a lot there. But uh, great stuff. Uh, Dan, thanks again for coming in. Thank Fun. you. Thanks for having me. And Keely, thanks for uh, joining me here in studio and uh, of course. dealing with all my crap. <laughs> Part of the job. Part of the job. It's just a necessary evil, I guess Mm -hmm. she likes to say. Uh, All right, that's going to wrap it up. Dan Weber, Keely Yor, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to actually have Harvey Hyde on tomorrow, so we'll have another show again coming up. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll try to squeeze another recruiting one in before the February signing period. But hope you guys enjoyed this one, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.